We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Patton. Jason, the Bulls are 4-0 for the first time in 25 years since the 1996-1997 season. The Bulls have started off 4-0. and It's their first four-game winning streak since 2017, I believe. Uh, the, the last game coming on Monday night the Bulls with a nail biter win against the Toronto Raptors on the road. It was their first true test after two games against the Pistons and a win over the Zion Williamson list Pelicans. I was worried about this game coming into it. The Bulls had control for most of the contest. They were up by 20 points in the third quarter. They opened the fourth with a 12 point lead. The last eight minutes, Jason, a complete calamity. The Bulls with turnovers left and right. Lonzo ball throwing bad passes. Vucevic freaking out while dribbling the ball up court. Uh, Vucevic with a missed free throw. Just, Just bad plays everywhere. Alex Caruso got stuffed on a pick and roll late. But the soothing, calming presence of DeMar DeRozan in the clutch carries the Bulls to victory. And the Bulls win 111-108 to go 4-0. and oh. Next game on the schedule, Jason, a Thursday night tilt with Tom Thibodeau, Derek Rose, Taj Gibson in the New York Knicks at the United Center. I think that is going to be the most energetic game atmosphere the United Center has seen in quite some time. Joakim Noah night. It's Joakim Noah night, too. There's going to be a lot going on, but 4-0, baby. It wasn't pretty. A couple of these games haven't been pretty. But you got to be feeling good about 4-0. I know I am. Yeah. I mean, how could you forget Zach Levine's first four-game winning streak in his NBA career for actual like regular season games? Obviously, not counting preseason in the Olympics here, but shout out to Zach Levine. And Zach Levine also... Uh, yesterday passed Michael Jordan on the all-time three uh, Bulls all-time three-pointers list. He has like 558 now. Uh, just kind of obviously whole different era, eras, but the fact that Zach already has almost like 600 three-pointers as a Bull, and uh, since he's only this is the fifth year, and with all these 
shortened seasons. Uh, pretty awesome. So good there for Zach. But yeah, I wasn't able to really see much of the whatever the Pelicans game or Pistons games from over the weekend. I was at a wedding, so I saw some highlights. Uh, I was checking in on the score. Lonzo Ball had that awesome block. I can't even remember which game that was from. They basically kind of handled those games. Uh, they pulled away uh, in the second halves, and they were kind of just kind of coasted through those games. I mean, I, great to see. I mean, first of all, just great to see them in those weekend games taking care of business against teams they should beat. You should beat the Pistons' ass. Obviously, that the season opener was close, but they pulled it out in the end. Uh, and they blow out the Pelicans. The Pelicans did get a nice win against the Timberwolves the other night. Uh, but you you blow out them, and then you come back and you blow out the Pistons uh, at home uh, to to get the three and zero. And yeah, in this Raptors game, the Raptors they are no Pascal Siakam. Uh, they're a bit limited now. They got some interesting young players. They obviously got Fred Van Vliet, Illinois, an Illinois guy. Uh, and obviously well coached with Nick Nurse, but playing on the road, that's a game you could easily lose. And the Bulls, they did control after they another sluggish offensive start. And Zach has gotten off to some kind of weirdly slow off uh, games in the first quarter before picking it up. Uh, DeRozan kind of carried them early, and then they they and then they started just killing it. The second and third quarter, they were just destroying. They had a 37 point second quarter. Like as you mentioned, they went up 20 at multiple points in the third. I think it was a 20 point game with like four minutes left in the third. And they were, they were still up 15 uh, early in the fourth quarter. I think it was, the score was like 95 to 80 at one point. And then, like you said, wheels fall off. I think they had two points in six minutes. As you mentioned, just, it was just panic. I feel like there's just way too much panic from a bunch of guys who you wouldn't expect panic from. Like, and just some really, just really bad turnovers. They, they had done such a good job taking care of the ball, like all game. I think they only had like four or five turnovers, maybe for the first three quarters. And then you got, you had, yeah, Lonzo just kind of throwing the ball to the literally, literally right to the Raptors. You had Zach with a lazy, like behind the back, just lost the ball to Fred Van Vliet. You had Vooch trying to dribble out in the open court and then just looking like a, a complete fool out there. And it was just clearly, and, and, and what I really did like to see was though, Zach and that post game uh, on court interview was just, was, he was really mad. Like, whatever, they're 4 0. First time he's won four regular season games in a row, and he was pissed about how they finished that game and how they almost blew it. So that I love, I like seeing that mindset that they know that it can be so much better. And it is clearly a work in progress here with, I mean, the offense, I think is middle of the pack right now. I think they're like literally like 15th right in the middle of the league. Uh, the, the crunch time stuff has been pretty ugly at times, clearly tr- trying to figure out what to do. Uh, I know I saw some people talking about this on Twitter today about how like Lonzo and Crusoe just getting like too many on ball reps in crunch time. And how you'd want to see more Zach. You want to see a bit more DeRozan. As you said, DeRozan had the two big mid-range shots as they were kind of falling apart apart there to help stem the tide. He had a couple free throws. Zach did have a big three-pointer on some nice uh, inside-out action with Vooch. So there were some nice things in there, but just a lot of also bad, a lot of panicky stuff. But to still to have all that crap happen and then you, to still pull it out, that's why you get DeMar DeRozan to get those big shots. Because I feel like everyone was thinking it. That like if this was last year, uh, the team would have f- fully, uh, whatever, discombobulated. Am I saying the right word? Just fully fallen apart, and they would have lost that game. They did just enough, as ugly as it was. They're four zero. The schedule hasn't been super tough. The schedule is about to get super tough with a with this next game and just moving ahead over the next month. It's a just absolute gauntlet over this next month, and we're gonna find out a lot about this team. Uh, but so, overall, definitely vibes great. 
4-0. It's awesome. This is the last time they were at 4-0. You said it was 25 years ago, 96-97 season uh, when they won a championship. Obviously, we don't really think they're going to win a championship this year. But to get we, we on this last, po- last, last podcast, we said Bulls go 4-0 and be 4-0 going to the next game. And they're 4-0. Look at that. They, they listen to us. Yeah, I love it. So <clears throat> big takeaway from this game, I think, is just the calming presence of DeMar DeRozan late in the fourth quarter. Obviously, this was a big emotional game for DeRozan. It always is whenever he goes back to Toronto. That's the franchise that drafted him. He gave a lot of pregame quotes about, you know, how Toronto raised him as a man, and he was so proud of the organization when they won a championship, even after they traded him for Kawhi Leonard. There was a great feature from Darnell Mayberry and from Casey Johnson on DeRozan. So DeRozan had a lot of pressure on him going into this game, right? Like, Games in Toronto clearly mean a lot to him. And he truly rose up to the occasion, man. Finishes the night with 26 points, six assists, four rebounds. Goes seven of 19 from the field. And you might think that that's an inefficient shot. Mark of uh, Bulls HQ made that point on Twitter. You might think that was an inefficient night for him. But really, the Bulls would have been toast in this game without DeMar DeRozan. And, uh, you know, not to get too hyperbolic with it, Jason, but DeMar DeRozan was basically doing some straight up Michael Jordan shit in crunch time. And I say that because he was taking, you know, the mid post fate baseline fadeaway over OG Ananobi. Yep. Nobody takes that shot in today's NBA. The defenses want to give up that shot, a tough contested mid range too. But you know what? DeMar DeRozan is really good at those shots. He hit three of those daggers in the last seven minutes The Bulls do not win this game without those shots. He also somehow got two free throws really late in the game off a quick inbounds pass. He went up for a shot. uh, So that was a heady veteran move by him as well. And the Bulls on this in this game were great at the line. The only missed free throw was the Vucevic free throw that would have put him up four. Instead, he misses and the game ends with Fred Van Vliet basically going one-on-one against Vucevic in space. It was very reminiscent of Steph Curry versus Kevin Love in the finals a few years back. But much like Kevin Love, Vucevic somehow sort of held his own. Uh, He basically got cooked, but Van Vliet missed the shot, and the Bulls end up winning. So, you know, big takeaway from this game, DeRozan, I thought he was awesome. Uh, I'm not worried about his scoring efficiency, really. Like, you get him for crunch time. You get him for... The playoffs for big moments, for big games. Uh, a friend of mine texted me, oh, this is kind of like when the Bulls had Dwayne Wade, right? Well, that's the second point I wanted to bring up, <laughs> is that this Bulls perimeter of Zach DeRozan and Lonzo, they all really complement each other really well in ways that that Butler, Wade, Rondo perimeter never did Uh and since, you know, this is basically 2017 was the last time the Bulls were any decent. This team just feels like it makes a lot more sense than that team. That team was frustrating because it seemed like the pieces never really fit together. Yeah. Uh, this year, having DeRozan be your one guy who, like, you know he's not going to shoot threes, but he can control the ball late in the game. He doesn't turn it over. He makes all his free throws. He just plays with, like, a poise that Levine doesn't have yet. And we've seen Levine sort of have some bad moments in crunch time since he's come to the Bulls. Yeah. Uh, again, in this game, he looks like rushed in the fourth quarter. He just wants to be great and wants to will the team to victory so badly that, uh, you know, sometimes he ha- he has little screw-ups. So yeah. the Rosen in the clutch, awesome. That was my biggest takeaway from this game. Yeah, absolutely. I think what when you're like comparing this to like the three alphas or whatever, like none of those dudes could like really shoot at all. Right. So like at least Levine can shoot. 
Lonzo hit what five threes the other night. And even Rosen's been somewhat willing to get up threes. I think he put up three yesterday. Uh, so that was really nice to see. Um, and I think he hit one, he hit one or two of them, I believe. So like, at least he has at least been willing. And then obviously Zach and Lonzo uh, are really good three point shooters. So yeah, it has been, uh, I think just like besides DeRozan doing whatever, doing that, just the crunch time stuff, it will be interesting. That's something we've talked about for uh, just with this fit and in terms of how they're going to just kind of divvy up stuff down the stretch and who's going to control the ball. And like, as good as you mentioned, like Zach, like as good as Zach is, there are still times where he can be loose, where he can kind of take up some bad shots. DeRozan can just, he's just so good at getting to, to that mid-range spot. And even though that is a somewhat inefficient shot, like in the crunch in crunch time, when the game does slow down, when you when you have a guy who can just get to that like free throw line, extended mid-range shots and get them up, a lot, I mean that's not that's not a horrible shot compared to like when the Bulls are throwing the ball all over the place or like chucking up even like more difficult shots because at least he can like get to spots that he like knows he wants to be at. So like that having that is huge in crunch time because it's so it's not just Zach forcing up like really, really tough, like three pointers or like long mid range shots. Uh, and you have that there. Uh, is it Lonzo trying to do stuff in the half court in crunch time is not, has did not look great. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Twitter discussion going on today. And that yeah. was one thing I had written in my notes. I was going to say on this podcast, DeRozan's the best dribbler on the team, like pretty clearly uh, Levine can definitely handle the ball, but Levine's problem is that he's not a great decision maker under pressure. Yeah. We've seen that throughout his time on the Bulls again and again. DeRozan is a really good decision maker, even though his plan is often to be taking these like spinning mid-range hero ball shots, but he makes them. So you got to tip your cap to him sometimes. But Caruso and Lonzo are both awesome. And I want to transition this into the defense after this point, but uh, they're not very tight with their hand. No. And they're not really guys you want to be handling the ball in close spaces late in the game. Like that's just not the reason they're good players. They are both very good players, but for guards, they're not great dribblers. Right. Yeah. I mean, Lonzo, I feel like has like a little juice. I feel like the problem with Lonzo, he's just afraid to take it all the way to the basket. Like I feel like there's times where he's like, he'll beat a guy like a first step, but then he just like, doesn't take the ball all the way to the rim or, or sometimes he'll try to force a pass or he's forced a couple wild mid-range shots Crusoe, the shot that he tried to put up, I think he probably could have argued he got fouled, but still, you don't. Crusoe running like pick and roll and like driving into three defenders in crunch time is a lot of time you're just not going to get that call when you're Alex Crusoe. Like you're careening into the lane, and he he had some bad turnovers yesterday. But yeah, that's just like that also is I think a function of not having Kobe as well. Like he, they are asking him to do a bit more ball handling. Uh, that's something Kobe can help with as well. Even though we don't we don't love Kobe as a primary. Initiator, it's like a second guy off the bench, and uh, maybe instead of Crusoe, taking a bit more off Crusoe, that'd be that'd be good. So yeah, those guys offensively, half court stuff, not really their thing. We've seen how valuable Lonzo can be with this three point shot. He is obviously very good in transition. He's done some decent stuff in half court stuff, but when the game really slows down and crunch down like that, like I don't think you really want those guys making all a lot of your high level decisions. They can make some, but not too many. But I think the next point you're going to make about the defense and how just Lonzo and Caruso have just completely uh, just been spearheading this defense that is forcing a ton of turnovers, getting enough stops where like and just kind of making up for their the, the lack of rim protection. When you have Caruso and I think is first in steals in the NBA right now and like right up there in deflections, 
Lonzo is up there in steals, blocks, and deflections. So when you have those two guys at the point of attack, just wreaking so much havoc uh, and just like making the, making good rotations, getting key steals, getting key blocks, like that just helps everybody else. So that kind of helps mitigate Vooch's weaknesses and his mobility and inability to have rim protection. We did see Patrick Williams have a few, have a few nice blocks. I, I, I know I shattered you out on Twitter because he had a really nice like weak side help with the block. He might've had two. I can't remember what the second one. I remember the one specifically where I tweeted at you about it. Uh, and that just kind of helps make up for it. the activity level is making up for just like the lack of a dominant inside rim protector and the lack of size. They have had some issues rebounding. They got smoked on the glass yesterday and Patrick Williams really needs to do better there. They just, they just play a lot of small lineups. Uh, but the Lonzo and Caruso thing, I think is one of the reasons why we thought their defense weren't, weren't they, that it wasn't going to be as bad as expected. Again, they have played some pretty weak offensive teams so far, but uh, they've been doing a great job forcing turnovers. And even Vooch, like as much as as like slow footed as Vooch is, and we saw him, we saw him get roasted by by Van Vliet on one outside drive, and Van Vliet obviously obviously shook him a bit on that final shot attempt. Although I thought Vooch did a decent enough job staying with him for a bit. Uh, Vooch has been really good at also getting deflections, getting steals, and using his positioning to his advantage. So. Like right now, the Bulls have like I said, like yesterday, I didn't think they played like great defense, but they forced a ton of turnovers. Like Van Vliet had 17 assists, but he also had I think like eight or nine turnovers. I think the the, the Raptors had 21 as a team, and I think that turned into almost like 30 points. So like the Raptors also shot, they shot pretty well. I thought they got a, a decent amount of good looks from three and inside and some pick and roll. And Ken Birch was getting some really good looks. Van Vliet was setting guys up nicely, but when you force enough turnovers like that. Uh, that can help make up for if you're giving up a decent amount of open looks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I don't have the exact number in front of me, but this is something I've been tracking at the start of basically each season is that the Bulls every year finish higher in the defensive efficiency rankings than the offensive efficiency. Rankings. Yeah. I want to say their offense has finished higher than their defense. Like one time in the last 15 years, someone go back and double check that for me if you want to, but it's something along those lines. So right now, Jason, the Bulls, Number six in defensive efficiency, number 13 in offensive efficiency. This would qualify as a major surprise. Everyone went into this year thinking, well, if the Bulls are going to be really good, they're going to have to be a top 10, maybe a top five offense in the defense. You just hope is around 15 or so. What we're seeing right now is a team that has mostly been carried by its defense. 
a lot of that has to do with the competition they're playing. The Pistons are really bad. They played them twice in four games. The Pelicans are really bad without Zion. And Toronto, that was like a tough, feisty team, especially when Nick Nurse is resorting to full court trapping defense. He was basically coaching like Rick Pitino at Louisville. And the Bulls somehow were able to hang on for the win, even against all that athleticism and all that pressure that Toronto was bringing. But my question for you, Jason, do you believe that the Bulls will finish with a better defensive ranking than a better offensive ranking? Are the first four games of the season a lie or are they a sign of things to come? Uh, I would still guess the offense will come around and wind up being better than, than the defense. Just because again, I like, I do think I, it was uh, our uh, guy Matt at obviously at bloggable wrote about this today as well. And, and he brought up the boil in defense and uh, how like they were built on, like they were super aggressive, forcing a ton of turnovers, but we didn't really think it was that sustainable because like they would always melt down late in games when teams would figure them out and all that kind of stuff. I feel like these, like the turnovers, the way the bulls are forcing turnovers now, I think is a bit more sustainable just because I think the way they're doing it with the guards and it's not like they're like selling out with the trapping and stuff like that. They're doing it with positioning. They're doing it with good rotations uh, with Lonzo and Crusoe there. Like they're, they're, those guys I think can kind of keep some of this stuff up. But I do think they're not going to – I still don't think – like, I made fun of Stacey King for saying, oh, the Bulls can have a top-five defense this year. And what, you said they're sixth right now. Like, I would still think they'd, they're they going to fall back to probably outside the top ten. But I still think they could be, whatever, in the, maybe top half of the league. And I do think the offense, which we've seen, I think is still, I think, a matter of chemistry. And I do think Kobe, when he comes back, will help. Obviously, there could be injuries throughout the season. But I still think the offense will come around at some point. I think it will be nice to see them get up a few more three-pointers. They're still like – I think they're pretty high in percentage right now on shooting threes, but they're just not taking many at all. So they can get that up a bit more. Uh, and I think – I feel like they've missed a ton of bunnies too. Like DeRozan missed a bunch of layups yesterday. Vooch has been really struggling around, around the basket. Like he's been killing it and picking pop shots, but I feel like he's missed a ton of layups. So like I really do feel like the offense is going to find itself, get on stri- get on track a bit more, and the defense will come back to the pack a bit. But uh, I do think the defense isn't going to be bad. I think they can they'll be able to manage it okay, and uh, I think it should be good enough to at least keep them uh, and have them be a competitive and pretty good team. One thing that surprised me, I was looking at the deflection rankings. There's 11 players in the NBA right now averaging four deflections per game. Alex Crusoe is second in the league. Nikola Vucevic is also on that list of 11 players. He is averaging four deflections a game. Uh, Basically, how the Bulls are defending is that they're not even asking Vucevic to be a rim protector. They're just sort of having him stand in the middle of the paint and to deter drives before guys get to the rim. If anyone gets to the rim, it's on the two wings to sort of dart over from the baseline and provide the rim protection. So, and there was a good article on that. And I believe the website is on tap sports. MV Paul was the writer. He's been a, a pretty nice new addition to bulls Twitter. Follow him. I like the work he's doing. Uh, so that's sort of what they're doing with Vooch defensively. Uh, Jace Vooch, pretty slow start. And I'm saving my hottest take. For the end of this podcast, I guess we're probably in the middle of the podcast, but (laughs) how much, like, Vooch is the guy they gave up the most for. I thought it was a little bit of an overpay at the time. He's 31. They got him for this year and next year, I believe, and then he expires. Uh, 
actually yesterday he was questionable for the game with a birthday hangover. His birthday was two days ago <laughs> and comes into yesterday and he was questionable. Illness. He, Illness. he ends up playing. Uh, he's been a rebounding monster. I think he's been more impressive defensively than offensively, which I can't believe I'm saying. He can't make a three to save his life on offense. He's missing a ton of little bunnies. Vucevic has been such a good offensive player throughout his career that you got to feel like he's going to snap out of this and he's going to be a consistently great offensive producer. But here's my question, Jason. How much worse off would the Bulls be if Thad Young was their center and they use those assets on Vucevic to maybe try to get an upgrade at the four and bring Patrick Williams along a little more slowly instead of having him in the starting lineup? Uh, Because right now, Vooch is struggling and Vooch has got to get it together, man. Like, I don't want to totally overreact to four games, but these are four games against trash teams. And I feel like it would have been nice to see him get off to a hotter start. Uh, Thad Young is not playing at all in San Antonio. He's been DNP'd in two of the three games, but Thad was incredible last year. I felt like that was really one of the best under the radar bowl seasons of the last 10 years. When Vooch came, him and Thad sort of occupied similar spaces on the floor. They weren't a great fit together. But I think hypothetically, Thad could have been the center. Like Thad wasn't what was wrong with this team last year, especially if you would have added Ball and Caruso and uh, DeRozan and everything else they did. So I'm a little worried about Vooch. And my Thad Young hot take is just sort of like a half-baked hot take. It's just (laughs) something I think about idly, but I'm not like committing to it yet. But are you worried about Vooch? I can't say I'm worried after four games. He just missed so many shots that like, I don't think he's going to keep missing. Like I said, a lot of these like little post hooks that he's missing, it's just like short. I feel like he's just like short on them all the time. Like maybe this is just a thing where he needs to work himself into better shape and just to be ready getting that touch back and it'll be totally fine. The three point stuff. He's who's really bad in preseason uh, too. So I'm, I am curious about that. He did like last year. I feel like, I think it was a career best when he was at around 40%. I mean, maybe he won't be that good anymore, but I mean, he could at least be average. That's obviously huge. So I can't say I'm that worried yet. Like the, if they had Thad Young starting, I feel like that'd just be super problematic in terms of rebounding. And maybe that yeah, just like wouldn't smaller for yeah, sure. I mean, and that'd, that'd be, be very good. small. Yeah. And, and I mean, they got, again, they got smoked on the glass yesterday and that was with Vooch. Right. Uh, I feel like that. I mean, Thad's not that good. was not that good of a rebounder. Right. Pat is not rebounding, like doing that much in terms of rebounding. Like I know like the DeRozan and like Lonzo and Zach are like decent rebounders. That they'd be really, really in trouble. Like Vooch had Vooch. I think I had I had to look up the stats game. I, I mean, the other night he had like what eighteen rebounds. 19, I think yeah. so. Like, I think that is huge. I think the offense will probably come around. Like I said, maybe he won't shoot forty percent from three again this year on like the volume he did, which is a bummer because like it does leave them a little short on the shooting side. Uh, because I think the counting on given the roster construction right now, I think they're definitely counting on Vooch to be a better three point shooter than he's been so far. That's for sure. But uh, I'm certainly willing to give him a lot more time to it just feels like he's he's getting like decent looks They get him in decent spots. He has been shooting pretty well on like mid range pick and pop and stuff like that. Just missing a lot of bunnies, not really doing it from three yet. So I want to give him some more time. He said, and he's he's battling. I mean, maybe this is a function of him just like what he's doing defensively. I like, got I, I don't know. But like I said, I, I'd like to give him some more time to turn things around. Yeah, for sure. And it's a good point about how small they would be. They're playing so small anyway. Vooch yeah. is like their only real big. Right. And Tony Bradley's not playing. Alizé has been their backup center. Pat's been yeah. getting some minutes at center. 
And Alizé is 6'7 or 6'8, yeah. you know, like he's very undersized for the five. So they do need some extra size. They need that rebounding that Vooch provides. And I think Vooch has been pretty good defensively. I can't believe I've been more impressed with Vooch's defense <laughs> than his offense, but that's, uh, you know, that sort of says how, how poor his offense has been to this point. I want to say he's shooting like 35% from the field right now. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I do actually he's shooting 39% from the field. So that's only going to go up of course. And hopefully he's able to regain his three point stroke, just the threat of him shooting threes, yeah. I think is really important too. But you know, part of this is like Thad was awesome last year. And uh, yeah, it's just something I was thinking about. Maybe you could have used those assets for, you know, a four and you could have bolstered the team a little bit more, but Vooch, uh, he's the guy who they gave up the most to get. So I would love to see him turn it around a little bit. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we, uh, before we wrap this up, Jace? I mean, do you have I any, I was gonna say, do you have any other thoughts about Patrick Williams? Yeah. So I was going to say, we should talk about Lonzo. So let's do Lonzo okay. and Pat real quick. Uh, Pat in particular. So the most memorable moment of last night's game for Patrick Williams was probably on a shot. He didn't take when the ball rotated him, rotated to him wide open in the corner. Uh, Jason called it a record scratch moment in our group chat. And that's exactly what it was. Pat had a wide open three. The closeout was coming hard, but he freaked out. He didn't shoot it. The bulls ended up getting, I think a really bad look by DeRozan at the end of the shot clock from mid range. That was a shot Pat has to take. But Pat actually did have a couple nice plays on the defensive end in the third quarter. And as we've been saying, uh, since this team came together over the offseason, Pat needs to focus more on defense than on offense, I think, personally, because yes. that's really where he's going to carry a lot of the responsibility for the team is on that end. And defensively, he had another block yesterday that was very similar to his block on DeAndre Ayton from last year. A great weak side rotation. This is the one that you... Uh, you know, pointed out to me on Twitter, comes over, gets the block. He had another great block in the third, too. So I liked his defensive activity. Uh, You know, Pat's still really young. He's younger than a lot of the rookies. Yes, he got uh, so many starts last year. But it seems like the issue with Pat continues to be that I don't think he's what they call a next play player. When he, like, screws up, it seems like he lingers on it a little bit, right? He's not able to just discard it and get back to playing his game. Uh, I think he's trapped in his own head a little bit. Seems like he has a little bit of a crisis of confidence, but he does have some flashes. Basically, Pat's entire status as a top five draft pick was always based on flashes. Through his rookie season and through the first four games of this second season in the league, it's still all flashes. Patrick Williams has not been a good NBA player yet to this point in his career. He wasn't really a super good college basketball player either but he had some really enticing flashes. One thing I have liked that I've seen from Pat, Jason, is his ability to attack closeouts. I think that uh, that's going to be his role in this offense is going to be to be a floor spacer. But when the defense closes out, if you put it on the deck one, two times, rise up to either pass or shoot the mid-range, that's when Pat can be dangerous. We saw him throw a nice pass to, I believe, ball in the corner at one point in this game. It was an inaccurate pass but it was the right read and it was the right decision. So that was encouraging to me. I like his ability to attack closeouts. I like his mid range shooting. Uh, I think his, you know, his supplemental rim protection is probably going to be his defining quality as an NBA player, but uh, I haven't heard any Kawhi Leonard comps this year. Jason. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I want to, I want to see more rebounding. Definitely. But like he needs to just Rick wreak havoc defensively, and he needs to hit the glass, I think, harder and take those open threes when he has them. 
Uh, and that's how he's going to probably be most effective for sure. I guess real quick before we move to Alonzo, like what do you have you, I don't know how much of Scotty Barnes you've watched so far, but, and he had a lot of turnovers yesterday, some ugly he's jump sad. shots. What do you make of Scotty Barnes like, compared to Pat? Cause they're both Florida state guys for number four picks two years in a row. Yeah. Scotty Barnes looks way better than Patrick Williams right now. They're about the same age too. Cause Pat was so young and Scotty yeah. was old for his class. Scotty might even be older. I don't have their birthdays in front of me, but they're about the same age. And Scotty looks awesome. He looks like a menace. Uh, he was someone who came into this draft with a reputation as being a guy who can't really space the floor, but he was a high motor, high feel prospect on both ends. And I think he's, he's living up to that pre-draft scouting report right now. He plays the game uh, a million miles an hour. He is able to manufacture ways to score inside with some shooting touch, even though like he's not a great vertical athlete in terms of creating space near the rim. Uh, he's not, you know, the quickest guy, but he's long, he's intuitive. And I thought Scotty Barnes looked really, really good. He put, I think it was Pat in a spin cycle yesterday for a big slam highlight reel dunk. And I, I'm impressed with Scotty Barnes. He looks like one of the best rookies thus far. I believe he's leading the Raptors in scoring as well to this point, which is pretty impressive for a rookie. So uh, Barnes looks awesome. And Pat, it's going to be a work in progress, but I'm not freaking out about it. I think Pat, you know, it's sort of nice to have a young player like that with all these veterans where it can just be a slow burn. Like if Patrick Williams doesn't get really good until his fifth season, that is probably not a huge inconvenience for the Bulls. Like obviously the Bulls do have to I mean, if, if, that, if that's the case, I think the Bulls will probably have traded him. Trade him. <laughs> yeah. Trade him. Yeah. And they might trade him. They might trade him eventually. But uh, it's also just nice to have a young prospect like that who you can kind of slow burn on his development. And yeah, like he is going to be a, he is the best trade chip on the team. I don't know what his trade value is league wide. It's probably not that high because he hasn't been that good yet, <laughs> but he is young. So he has a lot of teams bank on potential for sure. A lot of teams will do it. Um, let's finish up. You, you want to talk about Lonzo real quick. Let's finish up with that. What did you want to talk? Lonzo. I mean, like I said, we talked about his flaws in the half court, but I feel like other than that, uh, and some of those couple bad turnovers, he's been absolutely just incredible. I think I think setting just being everywhere on on defense, uh, his shooting has been really great so far. Uh, I think we I think he's been basically everything we could have hoped for. Again, like I think a lot of people would like to see him make like a leap offensively in terms of that half court stuff. But uh, we talked about that. We kind of knew that that those were his flaws. And if he just like focuses on being a menace defensively, pushing the pace when he can, and hitting three pointers, uh, and then doing some stuff in pick and roll, like. I think that's a really damn good player. Lonzo rocks. He's been so good. I don't know why the Pelicans decided to let him go, but he has really been a great addition for the Bulls. His defense is unbelievable. There's been some chatter that Lonzo's performing at an all NBA defensive level this year at an all defensive level. And I think that that's absolutely true. He's guarded a wide variety of players. He doesn't look that strong, but somehow he's really stout in the post when bigger players try to take him down low. He has such active hands. He fights over screens, forces turnovers. He's like uh, just like such a great gambler, right? He takes like concentrated gambles and he will get burned for it sometimes, but his ability to force turnovers is just huge for this team. And his shooting on offense is really totally transformed how good of a player he is. And this was one of my notes I had watching yesterday's game is, I have so much respect for both DeRozan and Lonzo for both of those guys having really like limiting 
factors in their skill set that could have prevented them from being successful. DeRozan's prime was spent during the years the NBA underwent a three-point revolution. DeMar DeRozan can't shoot a three, but somehow he's ended up becoming a very good player because he improved as a passer, doesn't turn the ball over, gets to the foul line, got very good in isolation, very good from the mid-range. And despite the fact that the man can't shoot threes in the middle of the most three-point happy era ever, He's willed himself into being a very good player who can sign an $85 million contract at age 32 or whatever he is. And then with Lonzo, you're a guard who can't really break down the defense or get to the basket at all. That should be a huge problem for a guard. If you can't really dribble in tight spaces. And a horrible shooting stroke coming into the league. He could not shoot. And he had a terrible shooting stroke coming into the rim or coming into the league. Look at his free throw percentage. His first year with the Lakers. I want to say sub 50% from the foul line. So what does Lonzo do? Fucking works his ass off, becomes a very good shooter. Now I have a ton of faith in Lonzo when he's open from three-point range, right? Like he can shoot off the dribble. He can shoot off the catch. Uh, he's just really worked on his game and busted his ass to, to improve in some areas of weakness, even though he'll never probably be able to overcome his biggest weakness, which is breaking down the defense. Very similar to DeRozan is never going to become a good three point shooter, even though he has hit a couple here early in the season, but he's just improved in all the other aspects of the game. And DeRozan was like a really bad playmaker early in his career. And now he's an awesome playmaker and he didn't get to the line much earlier in his career. And now he gets to the line a ton. So I have so much respect for both of those guys for just grinding their way Pass their shortcomings. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I don't really have anything more to add. I think I think we've pretty much touched on everything. Uh, I guess I'll give a shout out to Troy Brown Jr. for scoring 11 points last night. That was a nice boost off the bench. Uh, I've been losing some faith in him. Nice to see him actually do some stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think we've touched on basically everything. Bulls are 4-0. Good vibes. As I mentioned, we got a brutal stretch coming up. We got the Knicks. On Thursday, that game is now on NBA TV. It is not TNT Bulls, but is now on NBA TV on Thursday at home. You said you're going to that game, right? I'm going to that game. Yeah, nice. So it'll be in the be house. Like we mentioned fun. Joe Kim Noah is going to be in the house. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. And then I think they're home Saturday against the Jazz, right? I think that's a home game against the Jazz. Something like that. So uh, just another test. They got they got a bunch of West West uh, Western Conference games coming up. I know their, their long road trip out West is coming up in a few weeks as well. So we're going to see what these Bulls are made of. And I'm excited. Go, you, you win these first four games. Now it's playing a bunch of really good teams. Uh, like I think I'd put it on Twitter like the next 14 games, like over the next month. Like if they can go like, I guess like 500, even a game under 500, and they come out of that like three games over, like whatever, two, three games over 500. I think that's huge. And then you, whatever, you you win some games, you lose some games here and there, but you learn, you get build some experiences, and then you kind of use that over the rest of the season. Uh, and you hope you just go from there and end up however many wins they end up getting. But it should be a really interesting stretch to watch them play. And uh, like I said, I know I think we're going to do it. You're going to the game on Thursday. We're going to do a pod, I think, on Friday, reacting to the game. Uh, you have anything else here before you yeah. sign off? Yeah, and I um, I hear you. We're like, just go 500 over this tough stretch, whatever. Beat the Knicks, please. Yes. Just kick the Knicks' ass. That would be really good. Seeing a win on Thursday, I think that that would, if they win that game, Bulls mania sweeping through Chicago, baby. I feel like that is the game you got to win to get everyone in the city invest in the Bulls. So win that game. And then, yeah, like you're probably not going to beat the Jazz. The Jazz are always the best regular season team. That's okay. Beat the Knicks. Maybe That's the game I want to see. Win. Maybe they can beat the Jazz. I mean, they've come, they came close a bit last year, but uh, uh, we'll see. But, but yeah, number one, beat the Knicks. Let's do it uh, and do that. 
And uh, like I said, we'll, I think we're going to pod after that game on Friday. Obviously, it was Ricky's going to be at the game, so we can't do the post game. But we'll try to do something, a reaction pod on Friday. I believe I'm, I will be joining right in the next few minutes here. Another Blue Wire pod, Nick's Film School, talking do a little preview for uh, for Bulls Knicks. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, as always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. We're in the with the NBA season here starting with all this stuff going on. Please go check out all the great NBA pods all across the network. Go check out all the other great pods as well. We have tons of stuff going on at Blue Wire. Go check it out here at Cash Considerations, the Chicago Bulls podcast. As always, please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. Give us, give us your feedback wherever you're listening to your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter as well. I'm at Bulls underscore J. Ricky is at SB underscore Ricky. So, again, we will talk to you guys next time on Friday after the Knicks. Beat the Knicks, and we'll talk to you guys then. Take it easy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.